You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today's guest is the executive editor of Coindesk Magazine, Mark Hotstein. On this episode, I talked to Mark about how he got his start in crypto in 2011, as well as how crypto has evolved since he started writing about it for American Banker Magazine. We also take a dive into stablecoins, DeFi projects, and how the corporate world is influencing crypto development and value. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's full of insight based on Mark's 10-year crypto journey. I wanted also to let you know that we had a few minor audio problems along the way, but my editor did a great job to give you the best listening experience possible. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss a moment. And thanks for listening. Everybody, welcome to our next episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today, I have a very special guest talking about Bitcoin and Bitcoin series. Uh, We have the editor or actually, Mark, you said you're the executive editor. Executive editor, yes. Executive editor of Coindesk. Um, Mark and I have a, a past. I guess we we we've known each other for quite some time. I would say probably seven or eight years, uh, and we were very early adopters in the Bitcoin and blockchain space. We met, I think it was probably around 2013, 2014, uh, doing a couple of conferences for just talking about crypto and just kind of geeking out on on everything blockchain. Um, so I thought it would be very interesting to have you, Mark, on the show, so we can kind of talk about what happened since then, where you see things going, and obviously your time at uh, Coindesk and um, your experience. So please give us a short intro of what you're doing now and how you got to get into the space, the crypto space. Thank you, Maria. I'm really honored to uh, to be invited onto the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I've been a, uh, I've been a financial journalist um, pretty much my whole career. Uh, I spent most of my career at American Banker. American Banker is... Um, one of the oldest publications in the U.S. It's a trade publication for people in the commercial banking industry. Uh, had a had a you know pretty pretty good career there. Um, worked there for 17 years, which is sort of unheard of in media these days to <laughs> work at the same place so long. But it was, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot there. Um, but uh, you know, in about 2011, 2012, I became interested in Bitcoin. I think the, the way I originally Learned about it was through an article in the New Yorker that came out, one of the earliest ones in the mainstream media, and I just was fascinated. I thought I, I got to learn everything about this. Um, this is just this is just this is incredible. So I started going to meetups, uh, Bitcoin meetups, community meetups in New York City, and I would, um, you know, I, I inter- you know, I interacted with people on Twitter who were part of that early uh, Bitcoin adopter community. Uh, so I, you know, I was writing about it in a serious way pretty early on um, when most people in mainstream media or legacy media were not taking this stuff seriously. Uh, So um, in 2017, I had the opportunity to join Coindesk and it was a difficult decision uh, to go from a a very stable, um, you know, publication that had been around, um, you know, almost 180 years to a brand new startup that had been around, for just you know, at the time, I think four years. Uh, but I was just, I was, I'm just so fascinated with this space that uh, I left at the opportunity. So uh, I've been here, and um, the last three years have 
in crypto have felt like 17 years. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's, 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 it's definitely very different. So the, the, the question is when you started looking into crypto and you started getting into it, what was the price? Um, I think, uh, it was big. Point was at ten dollars at the time when when ten dollars. So were you yeah. the famous uh, were you the famous uh, pizza boy that that bought the no, that, that got I, that I, payment I, the ten thousand Bitcoin? I did make other Bitcoin transactions that I now regret. Um, I, I do have a hat uh, somewhere uh, that I paid for with Bitcoin. That you know, uh, if I just kept the Bitcoin, I could probably pay off the mortgage today. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, and actually, I mean, we'll, we'll I mean, we'll get into this in a bit, but. I mean, that's, you know, one of the interesting things is that early on, I mean, in those days when we met, you know, the narrative in the early Bitcoin community, a lot of it was around payments. And yeah. a lot of it was around, you know, at the time, uh, Bitcoin was being pitched um, at, in part as, as a more efficient payment system. That narrative is broken down for a number of reasons that we'll get into. But, you know, one of them is the fact that even though it's a very volatile asset day to day, um, you know, it's very famous for the wild price swings when you look at the exchange rate with the dollar. Over time, uh, as we've alluded to, Bitcoin, uh, the price has has steadily gone up. I mean, it's, you know, again, from day to day, it swings wildly. For sure. But over a long time horizon, um, it's, uh, it, it, you know, the trajectory has been, has generally been upward. And uh, so one of the, you know, reasons why, uh, at least for now, it's, it, I would say it's not a very practical uh, means of exchange for everyday purchases, is that Bitcoin um, uh, incentivizes you to, uh, to defer gratification yeah. and to um, spend and to, you know, and to, uh, uh, I mean, you know, if you want to use a judgmental word to hoard um, or the, 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 the industry logo is HODL, which is yeah. a, a misspelling of hold. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the nature of a deflationary currency is that, uh, you know, you are, you know, for better or for worse, um, you are incentivized to save and to, um, uh, you know, and, 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 and not to, uh, you know, buy that cup of coffee or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I think that's how we connected initially. I think it was uh, it brought, when you were talking about it as a payment mechanism, I, I had, think I had, I remember a conversation that we had in 2013. It was the first show that I've done that I did. I was a speaker at uh, Inside Bitcoin in New York yeah. City. And I think that's where we had connected. It's coming back to me. And I remember standing up in the room and I had no idea what I was doing, to be honest. It was just, I was invited there. I was like, Ooh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking talking about, but like, whatever, sure. Let me, I mean, I know about high risk payments pretty well, but Bitcoin's kind of new. And I I'd been in the space for maybe about a year before all of a sudden, everybody was calling me an expert. I was like, I, I don't know what anybody's talking about. I just read yeah. about this stuff. Uh, but you know, I, I remember standing up in the room and I said, you know, uh, Bitcoin is not practical, practical for payments. And everybody was like in shock, like that I was at yeah, this Bitcoin show. must've been heretical at the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, um, what Shakir um, Shakir Khan, I think from, oh, from yeah. uh, Spotify, he like literally came up to me. He's like, Maria, that was like a revolutionary talk. And I was like, 
No, but it's, it's serious. Like who the hell is thinking this is going to be used for payments? Like this is so like not scalable on a payments. I said, do you know how many transactions Visa and MasterCard does in like a second? How's the blockchain like right now going to be able to handle any of that? How are the fees going to be taken care of? Like, this is not practical. I said, this is a store of value. And it was like such a, it was such a refreshing point of view back then. Now everybody's saying the same thing. It's a store of value. But uh, back then in 2013, when, when we were at that show, I felt like it was just like a whole bunch of people that just wanted this to be the next Visa MasterCard or, or the next payment system. But, you know, intrinsically, the technology is just not there. And secondly, you know, uh, we, we both know about push versus pull systems and we need yeah. credit. People need credit. This is not a credit yeah. system. It's not going to work. So uh, it, very, very interesting how, you know, it evolved and eventually people getting the, got the point that it's a store of value. But talking about payments just in themselves, because I know that's like a, a big area of expertise for you is, you know, MasterCard just made an announcement Yep. Uh, you know, that you, they're going to offer crypto, uh, they're going to accept crypto and or Bitcoin, I think specifically, they're going to accept Bitcoin and they're going to also settle in Bitcoin, which is huge because before, I mean, there was a lot of even with like BitPay and some of the earlier companies, it was like, well, take your crypto, convert it to USD. So now it's it's going crypto, crypto, um, Bitcoin specifically. What are your thoughts on you know, why MasterCard is doing this? Or, I mean, just off the cuff, like, why would they be doing this? And where, where is that leading us to? You know, I was actually, I was pretty, I mean, I wasn't shocked, but I was, I was fairly surprised by the MasterCard announcement. Um, I, I don't have a great insight into, uh, in, 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 into that one. Um, but, you know, every day there's like a new sort of mainstream financial player that kind of comes out of the woodwork and says that they're going to um, get involved, which, and uh, all of this was just back in those days was just unimaginable. Um, you know, I think the, um, it's, uh, you know, it, I, I think pay, you know, everyday payments on any kind of a blockchain based system, particularly Bitcoin, it's, it, it's still tough, you know, for the reasons that you alluded to, um, you know, back in those days, you know, to be fair to the people who were speaking of Bitcoin as a payments method back in those days, um, the fees at the time were like almost non-existent and, yeah. you know, it was, you know, like, like, like it was just like, you know, you know, pennies, if that, um, this, you know, over time, uh, as, you know, as we go into the, uh, you know, the big run up in the Bitcoin price in 2017, there was this new sort of strain on the network and that pushed up the, the trans, the, the transaction fee that you had to pay to uh, get your uh, Bitcoin transactions included in the block. Um, there, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was just sort of laying bare uh, the scaling limitations that uh, maybe you had foreseen at the time, but a lot of, uh, a lot of people did not. Um, yeah. I think, you know, you know, the fee pressure, I think, is, you know, has, has, has come down a bit for a bunch of various reasons. But, you know, most of the people who are sort of still in the, in the, in the Bitcoin community uh, would probably argue that it's not for your cup of coffee. It's not for your everyday purchase. Um, there are other, there's a couple other things to keep in mind about though. I mean, there are other competing blockchains and a, a lot of them. Um, there have been a couple sort of splinter currencies that have broken off from Bitcoin. And those, I, is that's, that, those communities, that's where the, the real hardcore payments people went. So you have Bitcoin Cash, uh, which was um, uh, forked off or seceded, if you will, from the main Bitcoin network in 2017. Uh, you yeah. also have Bitcoin SV, which uh, is a fork of Bitcoin Cash. And both of those networks and both of those communities are very much uh, more interested in 
trying to make their version of Bitcoin a high volume, low fee, uh, everyday payments type of network. Um, neither of them uh, has the same level of security as Bitcoin. Neither of them has the same level of network effect as Bitcoin. Uh, neither of them is as valuable as Bitcoin. So it kind of remains to be seen, um, you know, how much scaling and how much of that kind of high, high throughput you can do on chain. So the other thing to, to take note of, though, is that uh, uh, even though on the main Bitcoin chain, um, you know, I think most users now are going to reserve the blockchain for final settlement for sort of, you know, large, you know, large transactions where it's worth it to pay the cost. Um, uh, you have uh, the, the, the second layer solutions. So, you know, one of the most uh, sort of interesting things going on in Bitcoin right now is this thing called the Lightning Network, which is, uh, they call it the layer two. And, um, you know, I, I will try to do justice uh, with this description, but basically it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, conducting these sort of uh, high volume, uh, low value payments off chain in such a way mm -hmm. that, um, Let's say, let's say, uh, you know, I want to buy a cup of coffee from you. Uh, so uh, Mark and Maria on the Lightning Network will open up what they call a, a payment channel, which is this sort of bi-directional channel where uh, you and I can send Bitcoin uh, back, uh, back and forth between each other um, for these small value payments. And then okay. when one of us wants to settle up, uh, we go back to the blockchain for final settlement. And so, you know, the mm. final balance between the two of us is recorded on the blockchain. But um, let's say there's a third party that um, I wanna buy a cup of coffee from. That third party doesn't know me, but that third party knows you. Um, you know, I can connect to that third party through you. So you have a channel with that third party. I have a channel with you. And so the Lightning Network can route these pay the payment from me to you and so forth. So mm -hmm. you can have all the, you know, you have this like sort of, uh, so imagine this sort of spider web pattern uh, on, on the Lightning Network, um, where, you know, you have people, you know, who have like some level of trust in each other, um, uh, you know, um, you know, sending payments back and forth. But again, when you want to cash out, you can take your Lightning uh, balance to the main blockchain and, uh, and, and withdraw, quote unquote, there. So it's kind of like... If I understand correctly, it's it's kind of like social proof. Like because I bought from you and you trust me, Merchant B can trust me based on the fact that you have a relationship. Is that is that basically uh, what? Yeah, yeah, that we have a channel. Yes. Um, okay. I, I think I think that's 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 the general concept. Um, I'm, I'm I'm sure I'm mangling it, but the, you know, the, but the basic idea is that because you you don't have to like get these things, you know, recorded in the blockchain, and you don't have to um, apply the proof of work, and you don't have to get everyone under the sun to agree on the state of the entire ledger, you and I yeah. can do these payments really quickly. Um, okay. And then it's, it's only when we're settling up um, that everything everything gets settled on, on the blockchain. So the Lightning Network, uh, it's, it's hard to tell how much, I mean, there's been a lot of like uh, sort of R&D work, a lot of development work on the Lightning Network. You know, one of the more interesting startups these days is a company called Zap. Uh, that's run by a young uh, man named uh, uh, Jack uh, Mollers. And yeah. uh, he has a service called Strike, which, uh, it, uh, if I understand it correctly, is sort of using uh, the Lightning Network rails to, to, to move uh, fiat around. So, like, it, and, it, and it sort of harkens back to, like, some of the earliest models you saw in Bitcoin, 
where you know if if uh, if I have dollars and you want to get paid in euros, um, the Bitcoin, but this time uh, through the Lightning Network serves as that bridge to to move the money in and out of. Uh, and okay. uh, you know, and Zap has, I believe, a they're in the incubation program that Visa has, so they have ties to Visa. Oh, wow! So, so in that in that sense, like you are seeing like a rebirth of the payments concept in Bitcoin, but uh, it, it, the 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 um, the twist here is that it's going on uh, off chain. Okay, so kind of like private blockchains. Uh, well, uh, the Lightning Network is not a, a private blockchain. Is sort of like this concept that is kind of uh fallen by the wayside a bit so a private blockchain was the sort of the fashionable thing in about 2015 2016 where a lot of the banks um decided that they were going to experiment with blockchain technology but they didn't want to dirty their hands with the uh you know the wild west of bitcoin and and these you know uncontrollable uh open networks so they yeah. decided uh, we're going to create private blockchains um, that, you know, where, you know, instead of where not everyone can participate. You know, the thing about Bitcoin is that, you know, anyone can download the software, right? You know, if you want yeah. a wallet, a basic wallet, you can just download it onto your computer. All you need is an internet connection. Uh, there's no KYC, uh, know your customer. There's no ID re re uh, required. You know, it doesn't matter if you're um, if you're uh, Joe Biden or the milkman, right? Like anyone, yeah. anyone can do it. And anyone can run a node. Um, and theoretically, mining is open to anyone, although it's a very expensive business, so you need a lot yeah. of uh, gear. But you know, there's no um, uh, there's no like you know sort of identity based barriers to entry. So uh, that was anathema to the banks because um, banking is a highly regulated industry, and uh, you know the laws and the regulations in, in developed countries require financial institutions to know uh, who they're dealing with. So they created these sort of like private networks um, that you know copied certain characteristics of uh, of the Bitcoin blockchain, um, and it was all sort of couched as experiments. Um, and a lot of that has sort of quieted down. I mean, you know, you still see. I mean, you know, J.P. Morgan, I think, is um, uh, still sort of um, you know doing some interesting work. Uh, they had their J.P.M. coin, which was sort of like this internal. Uh, currency they use for uh, settling uh, transactions among their own clients. Yeah. Um, you know, you you know, um, but you know, a lot of the enterprise blockchain stuff is uh, just not really. I, I think it's fair to say has not lived up to the hype. Um, IBM, which uh, had huge ambitions for this sector, um, you know, they've they've really uh, you know retrenched and made a lot of cutbacks uh, in the blockchain space. Uh, so, so the pri so private blockchain has sort of become this sort of dated concept, and there's still there's I, I think there's still people working on it from behind the scenes, but um, no one's really getting excited about that. I wouldn't call the Lightning Network a private blockchain necessarily because again, uh, it's an open network. You know, anyone can set up a light. I mean, you need technical skills to set up a Lightning node, but you yeah. you know, there's no you know it, you know you know at least at least uh, as as things stand, you know, the Lightning Network. The one thing it does have in common with Bitcoin is that it is. Uh, it is an open network. It's permissionless. So, okay. so, so, so I, I, I would say it would be a misnomer to call that a, 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 a private blockchain. It's not even a blockchain, really. It's just this sort of, um, it is this sort of. It's a peer-to-peer -peer network that's uh, on top of Bitcoin and that occasionally um, uh, uh, sort of uh, syncs up with 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 the Bitcoin network. If that makes any sense. 
Yeah, no, it does. And and the interesting thing I want to touch upon is, you know, peer-to-peer payments. I feel like in the peer-to-peer payment space where, I mean, there's so much development there and there's so many things going on, wallets and all this different stuff. And it seems it's it's pretty easy for people to transact amongst each other, especially in, in developed countries. You know, if I want to send you money, you want to, you know, Venmo and PayPal and all this stuff, it's it's all there. Um, the interesting thing I think is, and, and you touched upon it earlier, like larger transactions, um, B2B transactions. You know, if I want to send somebody money as a business to another business owner, you know, uh, oh, like a, a large sum of money, that's where things kind of break down, I think the financial system you you got you know you got wires um you know you're not gonna send somebody a paypal for 25 30 40 thousand that's gonna it's gonna be insane in terms of fees and, and so forth that doesn't make any sense so i mean talking about bitcoin as or or you know crypto in general as a payment method do you think do you foresee a future you know within the next five years where companies are transacting each other instead of sending each other wires they're sending each other bitcoin or they're sending ETH or whatever, you know, one of the main currencies? Maybe. I mean, it's, it's, it's conceivable. I mean, you know, it's still very early right now. I mean, remember that like, you know, Bitcoin is still volatile on a day-to-day basis. Um, So, so you have to take that into, into consideration. Um, I mean, you know, we, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, I'd say it's more plausible now than I would have said a couple of months ago, simply because, um, you know, you know, one of the big stories of 2020 was this company MicroStrategy, uh, which is uh, just a, a B2B software uh, company that, um, you know, they've been around, you know, 20 plus years. They, they date back to the old uh, dot-com bubble, uh, but um, they have sort of, um, their CEO was a guy named Michael Saylor, who seems to be a late convert to Bitcoin, but a, but a very yeah. passionate one. Uh, Michael Saylor is um, the CEO of, of MicroStrategy, and uh, he, uh, at least his, you know, his official uh, story is that uh, he's concerned about inflation whittling away the value of all the cash that this company has on hand. So he's been buying Bitcoin um, pretty aggressively, uh, even like issuing debt with which to buy Bitcoin. And his oh. company's almost become as much, if not more, a Bitcoin play as it is a an enterprise software play, and he and uh, you know he loves to talk about it. He said that he spends something like forty percent of his time now um, thinking about Bitcoin related stuff, um, mm. and that was sort of, but that was you know that's still sort of an outlier, right? But you know Square, Jack Dorsey's company, Jack Dorsey's payment company, they've put a portion of their treasury in Bitcoin. Um, uh, I, I think MicroStrategy made it kind of you know. Uh, safe for them in a, in a way to do that. Uh, more recently, Tesla um, has been buying Bitcoin um, for its own coffers, and uh, Elon Musk, obviously, is this sort of charismatic, you know, celebrity. Um, you know, so so that was that was, uh, and, you know, and, and these you know significant amounts of money, in, you know, in the billions of dollars here. So um, so I think it is conceivable if this trend continues that. You know, they might, you know, if, um, you know, if they are going to be holding money in Bitcoin and not just as like a speculative investment, but as like, you know, this sort of inflation resistant uh, treasury, then, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, I'd say it's conceivable, um, you know, because again, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, a, a cup of coffee with Bitcoin is impracticable for many reasons. Uh, yeah. But, you know, like, a, you know, if Tesla's going to pay their suppliers for, shipment of tires or shipment of batteries or whatever. Uh, it's it's not the craziest, craziest idea right now. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. And and talking about, you know, the, the enterprise money that's entering and, and people, you know, all the, the big companies, it feels like I remember also back in, in the earlier days, I feel like, you know, we're dinosaurs in the space almost now, even though it's only been around for less than 10 years. Um, you know, it was fashionable to say, I think at one point it was like, uh, I can't remember if it was Overstock or one of these like e-com companies that were like, hey, we're going to start accepting. Everybody was like just trying to get the press off saying, hey, we're going to accept Bitcoin. But then they made like no sales in Bitcoin. Yeah. So it was kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're accepting Bitcoin. Now. But yeah, nobody's using it. So whatever. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm very interested to see. And, I, you know, obviously I'm going to follow uh, Coindesk to, to see the news. And I'm, I'm curious to know how that's going to progress as stability, you know, starts, I guess, Bitcoin starts becoming more stable. But talking about your point specifically about, you know, these, you know, Mark Saylor and all these people kind of going into crypto, do you think it's their trust in crypto or is it their distrust in the US dollar that's pushing them there? Oh, uh, that's, that's a great question. Well, I mean, definitely if you talk to Saylor, I mean, you know, he definitely uh, has sort of a doom and gloom view of the dollar. Um, uh, so, um, you know, and, 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 you know, it's trust in, uh, you know, trust in crypto. I mean, with Bitcoin, it's specifically trust in, um, you know, the network rules, you know, there's this sort of hard cap that, you know, there will only ever be about 20, 21 million Bitcoin. Uh, after that, there will be no more that are minted. Um, and changing those network rules would be very, very difficult. Um, I suppose it's not important. Theoretically, it's not impossible, but it um, it would be it would be very difficult to take over the network and uh, and force to a change like that. And everyone's incentivized not to do that because that would wreck the value of the asset. Yeah. And part of the value of the asset is that it is by design scarce. So I think the scare you know the scarcity is 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 part of the allure. Uh, yeah, I do think that like you know some people are you know particularly in the last year or so because. Um, you know, you know, when when COVID hit, and um, you know, you know, governments, uh, U.S. and elsewhere, and central banks uh, started taking extraordinary measures to prop up the economy, um, both through fiscal stimulus and um, you know, monetary expansion. Um, that sort of got people worried about inflation again. Um, I mean, you know, you know, you, you know, economists will debate what you know how serious those. Uh, the how serious that concern is, but um, definitely the people who, you know, the institutional players that are looking at Bitcoin now, I mean, they, they again, they see this as digital gold, you know, like, you know, in the past, they would have looked to gold as the sort of port in a storm from, the, uh, you know, from uh, another hedge against inflation. Yeah. And um, uh, now they're looking, you know, and they, they look, you know, but even gold, you know, you never know when someone's going to dig it up somewhere. So, you know, while the, gold, the supply of gold is scarce, it's not limited in this really defined way, the way it is for Bitcoin. So I think that's why you see people like Paul Tudor Jones, people like, um, uh, you know, you know, Mass Mutual even, like this, you know, conservative insurance company, mutually owned insurance company is, is investing in Bitcoin. You know, all these names, and that's just, these are just the names we know about. You know, there are, pro, you know, the, you know, there are, you, occasionally you hear whispers and, um, you know, you you know, so there's you know there could be more to come out of the woodwork, um, who have been kind of investing in these, um, uh, you know, quietly. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that there's a leap of faith involved, um, obviously. Um, but uh, again, I think you know, I think it's a little bit of each. I think it's it's that they're 
sort of getting comfortable with 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 the idea of this uh, currency that no one really controls and everyone's just sort of buying into the idea. And they're getting you know increasingly less comfortable with with uh, with with the government currencies. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's it's all part of you know the world globalization without getting super philosophical about it. But you know, okay. being able to trade amongst different countries and people transacting a lot more, the gig economy, all that, it, it's just making it a lot more difficult to say you know the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency. It almost feels like maybe BTC is 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 trying to vie for that position uh, of reserve currency of the world versus uh, one specific country. So uh, there might be like a, a power shift. I see this, you know, all the wealth coming into BTC and, 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 and just crypto in general being almost like every generation has a wealth shift. You know what I mean? There's always like a wealth can't base, stay static. There's always shifting of, of wealth different places. And I feel like it's this generation's almost opportunity to, to shift wealth their way. So uh, it remains to be seen. But talking about, you know, financial systems and and the government and crypto, you know, obviously now crypto is starting to get a little bit more stable. What are what are your thoughts in general on stable coins? Just people who are trying to take the volatility of crypto and make it stable. Okay, so stable coins right now, um, uh, you know, know, for those unfamiliar, uh, a stable coin refers to a cryptocurrency that is designed to hold uh, hold its price against uh, against either the U.S. dollar or some other fiat currency. So it's designed to be price stable. Um, and uh, the 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 way that this is accomplished is basically you have uh, you have this token, you have this asset that runs on a blockchain, like a, like say Ethereum. Um, uh, uh, but it is backed by uh, collateral. And sometimes that collateral is on-chain. Uh, that's the case with DAI, which is um, uh, uh, a stable coin that uh, runs on top of Ethereum. Uh, but in most cases, it's just dollars in a real world bank. So the most, um, you know, the two biggest stable coins, there's Tether, uh, also known as USDT. Uh, and the way Tether works is you can, uh, if you go to Tether the company uh, with, let's just say, like a hundred, a hundred thousand dollars, and you can say, I'd, I'd like to buy a hundred thousand USDT. You give them a hundred thousand dollars. They give you a hundred thousand USDT in your wallet. They actually run on several different blockchains, and then you can go zap your USDT wherever you want. So, and then, and and likewise, if you receive USDT. Um, and you want to cash out into real world money, uh, you can go back to Tether and say, I'd like to redeem this. And at least in theory, um, if they are as well reserved as they have maintained they are, then you should be able to get $100,000 back. So it's collateralized. Um, The main use case for stable coins right now is um, basically for crypto trading. It is a way for uh, traders to take advantage of arbitrage opportunities at the different crypto exchanges around the world by moving money real fast between one and the other. So if you can uh, make money by, um, you know, selling uh, selling Bitcoin uh, in Singapore and buying it in uh, in the U.S., um, you can, uh, you know, you know, you would use USDT or another stablecoin to um, to move very quickly. Because I think, as you as you alluded to, you know, bank wires aren't necessarily that fast. 
ACH isn't that fast. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, the risks of stable coins, I mean, you know, they, you know, you know, the, the biggest one is, I mean, you are reintroducing uh, counterparty risk into uh, a ecosystem that, that didn't have it previously. I mean, you have to, you know, you ultimately have to trust Tether that they are in fact holding uh, one for one, uh, a dollar uh, for every uh, USDT that they have issued. Um, and that is actually a, a longstanding point of controversy uh, simply because of um, there's not a whole lot of transparency about uh, USDT. Um, you know, they have uh, provided uh, snapshots uh, of their um, of their reserves. Um, in fact, this is uh, at the center of this uh, investigation that the New York Attorney General's office um, has been conducting for the last couple of years. Uh -huh. um, you know, so, um, you know, and, and, and that's a big point of controversy too. Um, you know, there, uh, I don't believe this theory, but there is a long running, uh, almost a conspiracy theory that um, Tether has been printing more USDT than it actually has dollars in the bank and that they do this to drive up the price of Bitcoin. Um, I don't believe that that's plausible anymore, uh, particularly not in this bull market. It may have been more plausible in 2017. However, without yeah. uh, without more transparency uh, about Tether's reserves, um, you can't write it off completely. So it's just sort of like until that case is resolved, uh, you know, that's just going to be a cloud that kind of just hangs over the Bitcoin market. Um, that said, uh, Tether pretty consistently trades at $1 per tether. Um, and uh, it, the reason is, as I alluded to, no one like parks their money in tether for a long time, right? You know, you use tether is, 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 is a, uh, it's a bridge, it's not a goal, right? So people use tether to move money from one place to another real quick, but they don't leave it there. So even if you have some doubt about the backing of tether, um, you know, you're, you know, the, you know, not everyone's going to just um, uh, try to redeem it directly from Tether. They're going to, um, you know, take, use USDT as sort of a rails to move from one crypto exchange to another, and then they'll mm -hmm. exchange crypto at one of the exchanges. Um, you know, so so Tether is the predominant stablecoin in the market, but there are other alternatives. Uh, USDC is probably the biggest one that's issued by a company called Circle. Um, USDC is probably, I'd say it's fair to say, more heavily regulated. Um, their balances are kept in a, a US bank, at least one US bank uh, that has FDIC insurance. Um, I'd say the, um, uh, it, you know, the compliance is probably more stringent with USDC, uh, but it doesn't quite have the volume yet that, that Tether does. Tether is just still, is still the sort of uh, dominant animal. So despite everything I said a few minutes ago about these lingering doubts about Tether, uh, it you know it's it's um, it seems that just the market doesn't care. They just they um, you know the, the, because no one's uh, no one's using it as a destination. It's 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 a bridge, and as a bridge, it's good enough. Okay, well that that uh, that gives me some memories of of Mount Gox. I, I, I think you remember uh, you remember the one and only uh, exchange that was like pretty much where everybody got their Bitcoin um, probably five six years ago or so, uh, and it seems like you know 
Tether is is now in that position where people are finding that that's what they're using for for stability. To me, uh, just I'm 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 a banker at heart, I guess. Like just banking side always gets me more curious, and I feel like you know what kind of KYC is being done uh, if they're holding your money. Like what kind of regulation is there? I, I it just my my brain it's hard for my brain not to go there just because of my my past and my history. But I I feel like you know is there legitimate KYC? Like if I take, uh, you know, 10 Bitcoin converted into uh, Tether, like is anybody figuring out where this money came from and, and why they're holding it and who sent it there and stuff like that. So I feel like for payment rails or, or for, for trading money, it could be good, but I agree with you on the, on the long storage there. Um, it might not be, uh, it might not be the most secure place, but it, at the end of the day, you know, I find that Stable coins, I don't know if you agree with this, but stable coins and, and Bitcoin and blockchain or Bitcoin specifically are almost counter each other, right? Because the whole point is one is decentralized and is is the market basically is dictating its value and so forth. And then you're trying to stabilize it with a stable coin. It kind of almost doesn't make sense to me that, you know, that these two would work in tandem, but a lot of people, especially people who are speculating on BTC are finding like, Oh my God, it's at this new high. I bought it at, you know, five, 10,000. Now it's, uh, it's 50, 60, 70,000, whatever it's going to get to. Like we got to secure that, uh, secure that. But then at the end of the day, if, if another 2017 happens where it drops all of a sudden, everybody starts cashing out like all at the same time, how liquid is this company? How how quickly are you going to get your money? Do you foresee problems with that? Basically, well, yeah. I mean, you know, the, you know, the risk of the, the risk is a, a classic one on the bank. Um, you know, that's. Um, I mean, you know, that's that's the thing with the stablecoin is that you're sort of you know bringing back these risks uh, that have been with us for centuries, right? Um, you know, a stablecoin you could argue is is, you know, it's kind of like a bank. I mean, you are you are. Um, you know, in, in in some ways, it reminds one of the. Uh, this, this this might be a rather um, uh, cruel analogy, but you know, if you think about the wildcat banks of the of the nineteenth century, you know, you would um, you know, that you know they weren't you know before FDIC insurance, you know, you're trusting this this party to hold your money, um, and um, you know, I don't know, maybe that's not the best analogy. I mean, you know, you know, but a stable coin is, you know, it's almost analogous to a money, an unregulated money market fund, kind of. You know. Yeah. That's yeah, in in, in a way, say. right? In other words, they're yeah. they're holding cash for you, and it's supposed to be liquid. But um, you know, if too many people come at once, I mean, they all, you know, remember the the official line is they all say they're back one for one, um, so it should not be a problem. Uh, and remember, they're hold, you know, they're holding it in cash and cash equivalents. Um, so, so it should, it should not be a problem. It should be more like a narrow bank, right? That's the sort of new concept we have of, you know, it's not an FDIC insured bank, but they're just holding it in, uh, cash or T-bills. Um, so that, so, so it, it shouldn't be, but I, I suppose, you know, it'll be put to the test, uh, sooner or later. So yeah, for sure. Uh, we shall see, as they say. <laughs> well, I mean, talking about the stable coins, and I don't want to dig too far deep into this because we, we've we've hammered this topic. But what do you think of DeFi? Um, first, okay. can you explain it briefly and just yeah. give me give me some information, your thoughts, and just kind of digging into your brain and getting all your feedback on all the the hot topics. Yeah, DeFi is is really interesting and very weird and very complicated. But uh, probably the simplest way to think about DeFi is. 
uh, everything you can do with a bank, except instead of doing it with a bank, you're doing it with a robot on the internet. So uh, lending, um, you know, uh, depositing money, like, like a, as if it were in a CD, uh, borrowing money, um, it's sort of doing this, but it, your counterparty, instead of an institution or, or another person, your counterparty is a smart contract that lives on the blockchain. So that's the basic idea. Um, the, you know, you know, if you talk to DeFi people, they will give you these sort of very lofty uh, rhetoric about how you know they're going to bank the underbanked, and perhaps in the long term that might be a thing. Uh, I'd say right now the main use case for DeFi is uh, speculation um, by mm -hmm. crypto, you know, crypto savvy people. Uh, to some degree, there might be hedging. Um, uh, hedging by crypto traders uh, using DeFi, uh, but again, it's another one of the you know like stablecoins. It's another one of these use cases that is sort of um, you know endemic to the crypto uh, universe. It's not really being used a whole lot uh, outside um, the, the the crypto world. Uh, that you know maybe that'll change, but uh, I don't see that happening very, uh, uh, anytime soon, just because it is so complicated and so weird right now. And it, it, it is so difficult to wrap your head around the way these things work that, you know, I, you know, I, I can't envision mass adoption. I could be wrong, but, but that's, you know, that's sort of the state of affairs right now. Um, you know, but, but DeFi is interesting. And, you know, my, col uh, my colleague, uh, Brady Dale, uh, who's sort of our, uh, one of our DeFi gurus, um, you know, what he would tell you is the only way to really understand it is, is to use it. Now, I will add a caveat here is that um, he's not saying, you know, and this goes for yes. all of crypto, by the way. First of all, just I think I think it's any, you know, anyone, if this is the first time you're ever listening to any podcast or you're just learning about Bitcoin, crypto, any of it, don't put in more than you can afford to lose. Like, you know, like that, that needs to be said every time, right? Um, you know, I'd say even Bitcoin with its track record uh, is not something you bet, you bet the whole farm on. And, sure. and and that we go double for anything other than Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> you know, so be very careful. Do your own research. Don't trust anyone. Don't trust me. Don't trust Maria. Um, you know. You know. You know. You're all. You know. This is this is the wild west. Um, so that said, um, you know the way to learn about these things, and you know this. You know, I'd say particularly in DeFi, uh, would be to just play around with it with small amounts of money. So. You know, you know, stake a little bit of um, uh, crypto in, in in the compound protocol. Um, you know, play around with uh, play around with these things uh, because it, it you know it's it's like a, if you've read uh, Plato's Republic, there's that whole parable of the cave, and you know there's these uh, you know this idea of these men who are live their whole life in a cave, um, and you know th their only conception of the world is uh, the drawings on the wall of the cave. Um, but you know they don't know what, what actually the outside world is really like, and so you know I, you know, DeFi in particular is very hard to explain and describe until you've actually uh, gotten your hands dirty with it. Again, you know it is not a place to gamble away your life savings. Um, you know you can you know you can you know people don't realize I think even with Bitcoin that you know you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. I mean Bitcoin is you yeah. know around fifty grand right now, but. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. Bitcoin is divisible to the eighth decimal. So if you just want to play around with this stuff, you know, you could probably buy, you know, you could probably acquire as little as $10 worth of Bitcoin. Um, and uh, you can, you know, you can mess around with small amounts with DeFi as well. 
So that's probably the best way to learn about it. But it is it is this sort of like very weird and uh, interesting frontier uh, of fintech. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, just like 25, you know, 30 years ago, email was like, what the hell? I, I have to send this and how does this work? I think we're just at the cusp of everything and it's going to become a part of daily life. You know, um, everything that has to do with Bitcoin and crypto and blockchain and so forth. It's just we're 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 really at the beginning and we're, we're just getting there. But DeFi is just it, it's decentralized finance, right? That's what that's yes. what DeFi stands yeah. for. Uh, decentralized finance is just it's a concept that I've been kind of looking into just ran looking just because I'm curious and I, I'm, I'm interested in the space, but I still myself have not been able to, to really back a project or not back a project. I just don't know about it, but that's a, you know, it's a very interesting uh, thought that you had is just maybe, you know, let's say take a hundred bucks or something and, and just try and see what happens with it. And something that, you know, it, at this point, it's, it's a little bit like gambling uh, because if you lose it, you just have to be ready to lose it. And if you win, then great, but you can't get addicted to the high of winning every time. Cause yeah. you might, you might lose. So uh, that's that's an interesting point for all our listeners. And, and thank you for that, uh, Mark. So just in closing and and just summarizing our talk and, 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 you know, a couple of final thoughts on your end, what are your, you know, what, what do you anticipate in the next five years? Do you anticipate mass adoption? Like everybody's going to have crypto? Do you anticipate? I mean, th this is, nobody's holding you to this. This is just you've been in the space for so long. I, you know, I would just be interested in your take on like, what's the next five or five years. It's hard to imagine 10. So let's say five years, uh, going to be like in, in the crypto space. So, uh, one other thing I'll just, I'll just mention about DeFi before, before we get to that. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, if you are going to, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, put money into DeFi, you know, the, the heuristics that, um, people have recommended to me is, Number one, make sure that um, a DeFi project has security audits um, because these DeFi protocols get hacked quite a bit. Um, so, um, you know, that's, you know, you know, it's a, a smart con contract is basically software. It's a computer program. Uh, and sometimes they're uh, not very well tested. So security audits are sort of like one of the things you should look for. Um, the big thing is, you know, how big a community does this DeFi project have? Because uh, all, you know, a lot of crypto, and this is this is true of Bitcoin. This is true of most of the blockchains. Um, it's true of DeFi. is is about network effect, um, and it's it's about community. And you know the ones that last longer are the ones that have these sort of resilient communities around them. Uh, and it's almost a sort of self fulfilling thing. Like if you, uh, for those who are familiar with Nassim Taleb, uh, the writer, he wrote the Black Swan. He wrote Antifragile. Um, you know he has this concept of Lindy, uh, and Lindy is just the idea that the longer something's been around, the longer it will stay stick around. Um, you know, it's it's just this sort of like self fulfilling thing. So, um, you know, so like Lindy effect is something to think about, in, and network effect uh, in the community. And are are there prominent people in crypto that are involved in a in a, in a DeFi project because that's just going to draw interest in it. So that that's the thing with DeFi. Um, you know, as far as the next five years goes, it's it's really hard to tell. I mean. Um, uh, I, I mean, but, you know, I, I, again, like when I joined Coindesk three years ago, I would not have predicted at the time that by now you'd have Mass Mutual, you know, putting its, uh, you know, policyholders money into Bitcoin. I would not have predicted 
I might have, you know, Tesla wouldn't have surprised me so much because because Elon yeah. Musk is kind of a kind of a madman. But um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have predicted uh, all the interest that we were seeing from Wall Street. I wouldn't have predicted all the interest we're seeing from banks. I mean, banks are looking to become crypto custodians and and, and hold hold private keys for uh, for crypto uh, investors, which um, you know, and 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 you you know you've got the OCC explicitly. Uh, Explicitly uh, blessing us as, as a line of business, which I, oops, would have been unthinkable to me. So it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, you know, I think like the one thing that I think is really important, uh, and this would be one more caveat to what I said earlier about payments. So again, like you know, it's very rare to have someone you know use Bitcoin to like you know uh, you know buy anything at Walmart or um you know you know just to like you know you know i'm going to pay you back five bucks for lunch i'm going to use bitcoin for that um it's just you know there, there's just every reason not to use bit the particularly on chain for that but um there is a very important category where i think even payments is a viable use case and that is people or transactions where there's nowhere else to turn um you know that is you know categories of transactions that um are pariahs and that, and yes, that does include um, illegal transactions. Obviously, I mean, you know, one of the most notorious use cases for crypto and, and Bitcoin in particular was was the Silk Road and these, these you know darknet drug markets. Yeah. Um, but that also means uh, activities that are not necessarily illegal, but are um, increasingly being deplatformed. So, um, you know, I. I uh, you know, and, and that spans the, the spectrum. You know, on the one hand, um, people in the adult industry, um, you know, that, that is that that is a place where, where crypto is seeing some adoption. Um, yeah. I mean, Pornhub has been deplatformed uh, by Visa and MasterCard. Uh, I, I don't know if they, they rectified that, but um, in last, of last year, uh, the only way you could pay uh, for your premium uh, um you know, the premium service that they offer was uh, through cryptocurrency because yeah. cryptocurrency is not centralized. There's no, um, you know, risk committee that's saying, oh, this is bad for our reputation if we're associated with this. Like it's, it's, it's something that it's a network that no one controls. And so uh, it doesn't matter what you write in the New York Times about, about, um, uh, about a particular use case. You know, Bitcoin is indifferent. Bitcoin is neutral. Uh, and, uh, you know, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, voices on the political right that have been deplatformed um, yeah. by major corporations. Uh, you know, and, and and some of these are you know some pretty extreme uh, organizations that um, you know uh, I would uh, you know that that I would uh, not endorse. But um, I do you know it, it it is it is noteworthy that. Um, you know, when they get uh, dumped by GoFundMe and they can't raise funds from GoFundMe, or when they get dumped by their bank or when they get deplatformed by PayPal, um, they are still able to use Bitcoin. And I think that that is, you know, the, the, the term for this is censorship resistance. It is uh, allowing, um, you know, A and B to transact no matter what C says. Yeah. And, um, and that's important. And I think that is actually one of, you know, aside from that, um, uh, you know the the concept of sound money. You set that set aside the inflation stuff. Set aside the monetary policy stuff. Um, set aside you know any questions of like fees or speed or any of that. 
just, you know, something that we take for granted, um, uh, you know, having grown up in a world with cash is that, you know, any two people, um, no matter, you know, would have some way to, to pay each other. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, if, if, you know, you know, you know, a teenager in New York City goes into a bodega and they want to buy some cigarettes. Um, you know, they shouldn't be buying cigarettes, but they, they probably could find a place where that you know they have cash and they could buy cigarettes. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's wrong, but um, that is just that is the world that we are used to. Um, and but it sometimes it's not going to be cigarettes. Sometimes it's going to be making a donation to to your church. Sometimes it's going to be. Um, buying a magazine that someone doesn't approve of, um, but yeah. we are we are accustomed to a world where, like, let's say you go into a butcher shop, uh, you say I want to buy a steak, you you know you hand whatever it costs, you know, twenty bucks to the to the butcher, he gives you a steak, it's fine. Um, if physical cash goes away, you know, it's it's conceivable that you know all transactions are subject to veto by a middleman, and a middleman can be politicized. Middle, you know, I'm not saying intermediaries don't serve a purpose. They they create value. That's why they exist. But intermediaries can be bullied around, not just by governments, not just by regulators, but by um, you know, uh, you know, do-gooder groups that say, oh, you know, how how can you facilitate this? Uh, you know, this is so unhealthy. Um, so you know, there should always be a way for you to buy that stake and not have your stake purchase subject to a veto by someone who thinks you should be eating soy instead. And I think yeah. that is, that is, to me, the, the thing that is, it, it's something that I think the new corporate investors and the new institutional investors don't really like to talk about and they don't like to emphasize it. They like to emphasize the sound money part. They like to emphasize the inflation hedge part and that's fine. But I think that is, that is really like the important thing from my perspective. And, 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 and that it's not, again, law, even for law-abiding citizens, this is important. They may, not, they may not think it's important. Like the average person on the street, when they're, you know, they go into Walmart and they just want to buy some diapers, they want to buy some toilet paper, they want to buy, uh, you know, they're, they're buying some orange juice. They're not thinking about censorship resistance. They're not thinking about intermediaries or centralization because they don't have to. Until yeah. one day, until one day when it happens to you. And then it's the most important thing in the world. And, um, you know, the question is, you know, can a technology and a currency that is always there for you when you absolutely need it, can it break into the mainstream when it has this reputation as being, um, you know, the you know the uh, go-to um, payment mechanism for for those on the margins? And I don't know. I, I would. I I I think that would be great, but uh, we shall see. Um, so. I, I can't make a prediction, about, I, but the one thing I will predict is that Bitcoin will definitely be here in five years. I don't know what the price will be. It should theoretically be higher than it is now, just if present trends continue. But I, I can't even, I can't even say that with certainty. But I know it will, it will never be zero. At least yeah. it will not be zero in our lifetimes because there's, there's always going to be a need for, uh, you know, in this world that we live in, where you have busybodies, you have, you know, these, these, you know, you have sensors. In, in a world like that, you're always going to need something like Bitcoin, so um, uh, so you can have permit uh, payments without permission. 
And it, it can keep people honest. You know what I mean? If, if, if in, in the way that like, if, if we have Bitcoin as an option to trade, well, then banks need to make sure that, you know, they allow people a certain amount of freedom just because I support this or I support that. I shouldn't be banned. Uh, and, and talking about specifically, you know, Pornhub and the adult industry and so forth, obviously that's a, a topic that I know quite well. Um, you know, Pornhub specifically, and, and actually all adult platforms, uh, were banned by PayPal. Uh, PayPal banned. PayPal wasn't used for payments. Let's say you wanted to buy a premium membership or anything like that. It was it was banned to pay the actresses. So like the the actual talent that was providing content was getting an affiliate commission, and PayPal decided we don't want to support this anymore. Well, this is people's livelihood. This is people. This is how people were making money, and they were getting paid with PayPal. Well, what happened is that just that was all wiped out, and then alternative methods came on uh, on board, and one of the biggest was crypto. So the actual biggest use case for crypto in the adult space is really the transaction between the, you know, I guess the, 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 the tube site or the website or the business and it's actresses or actors or, or talent. Um, so, I mean, you know, and at the end of the day, who am I to say, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this or whatever. This is, you know, again, we're, we're talking censorship. So this is a very interesting topic. And um, the the important thing also to keep in mind when you were saying, you know, do you want to buy the stake or do you want to, you know, how you want to pay cash is I think Europe is, is ions in uh, advance to North America in general, because privacy is seen uh, privacy is so much more important, I think, in Europe, and they're they're enacting a lot more laws and, and making sure that people have privacy. Whereas I feel like in North America, we haven't really, people are not really in tune to to what's going on with their privacy. But um, you know, I think it's it crypto and privacy and you know just being able to buy what you want to buy is all kind of going in tandem. They're all going to kind of move together and, and, and adjust to, to fulfill each other's purpose. So uh, very interesting point. And I, I definitely agree with you that, that Bitcoin's here to stay. I think it's going to be, you know, the best way to describe it, not to sound cliche, but digital gold, you know, I mean, we need a digital, yep. we need a digital asset. Uh, and there's, there's going to be, a, I think a slew of them that are going to come, not just, not just monetary format, whether it's art or, or whatever different digital assets. So uh, the best is yet to come or, or it's exciting. And I think it's, I think it's scary for a lot of people because obviously the unknown is always uh, fearful. So uh, thank you so much, Mark, for, for, for all your thoughts. I think this was a super informative um, episode and apologies to our audience for a couple of the glitches that we had on the, uh, on the audio, but uh, I, I'm happy that you listened through this and uh, hopefully we can have you back, Mark, for, for a follow-up as Bitcoin, Bitcoin progresses and, and you get more information on DeFi and stable coins and all this interesting stuff that we spoke about. So thanks again for, for joining in and have yourself a great day. I'd be delighted. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. Bye. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.